fam, and welcome back. It has uh, it's been a pretty minute since I've put one of these down. I've uh, came down with a little bit of winter sickness there that I try not to let stand in the way of any of the tasks I was supposed to execute. And I didn't really. I just had to shuffle some things around. And uh, being able to record hasn't been top tier on my list, and I haven't made it a priority. So I uh, had a pretty adventurous weekend. I'm back. I'm in good shape from, uh, I'm recovered from a eight hour trail race, the three of seven trail race that took place in Somerville, Georgia. Me and the family got to travel down there, spend some good time with some teammates of mine from the ROP course and, uh, get to see Mr. Chad Wright and Blake and Chili and all their, their wonderful team that they have there. And they put an awesome event together. It was, a uh, I broke a personal record for, for my running distance with a 25.9. I was, uh, was kind of hoping to hit the 26.2 because I was going to go backtrack to grab one of my teammates who, by the time I crossed the finish line and turned around to go back and get him, there was already a group of people running that last little bit of guys in. So uh, they saved him for me, and I left that box unchecked on purpose, and so now I have something to do. So uh, I'm going to title this episode Why Run, just in spite of you know me being back from this race and it all being fresh in my mind. It's a question I would get asked a lot in the town I come from, around all of my, my peers in different times in my life. So I figured I would just try to you know, explain this in my words and what it does for me and what I think that it, it could do for you. It might sound a little funny. You know, I tried to put this off for a little bit longer, and then at a certain point, you know, I'm like, hey, perfect or not, here I come. So uh, why run, right? Like, why why go through the exhaustion of it? I know a lot of people hate running in general. Um, I guess I was never, like, a huge fan of it. The first time I ever really ran a long distance by force other than, uh, you know, football practice was um, my end of my freshman year of high school, somewhere around there, I tried out for the wrestling team. And uh, I had played football for about four years before that, mostly, I don't know, I, w- I was never super really good at sports. I just kind of liked being part of the team and, uh, you know, all the benefits that came with the jersey, I guess, and, and trying to make that part of, of who I was. I played a lot of sandlot football behind the library with my friends on the weekends uh, barefooted, tackling each other into trash cans and briar patches and pine cones. And that was always way more enjoyable than, uh, any of the team sports I ever participated in by far. Just the, whether it was, you know, your friends picking your friends and you guys going out there and having a game, or it was the, the best days when you would show up with all your buddies and somebody else from the other side of town would show up with all their buddies. And you just have this, uh, you know, Sandlot football, we'd meet at different parks, we'd do these things all the time. And that was just some of the organization we had as as kids. And uh, yeah, first day of wrestling practice, they're like, hey, go run eight laps on the, on the, the track out there and then come back in. So I went and did that. I was kind of dead, thought practice was over. And they were like, yeah, that's warm up. Now we're going to stretch. And I was like, holy crap. So yeah, first day of wrestling practice was harder than uh all the football I ever played up to that point put together. And uh, 
I never really excelled in sports in high school. I never excelled in high school in general or any school. Um, I made it to about the end of my sophomore year before I dropped out and got my GD the same year that I did drop out. So, uh, you know, it was a, a choice that I had made at that point in time. I figured I was going to be two more years ahead of everyone who was still waiting to graduate at whatever, you know, job that I was going to be forced to do anyway. Dreams still weren't part of the equation yet. Ah, so I think I might have jumped into this too quick too, man. Welcome to the Effort is a Choice podcast where I'm going to tell you some of my personal experience on how I think it can reflect to you and yourself. You know, maybe you take something away from this one, maybe you don't. I'm going to give it to you guys as it comes. You know, I'm going to I got a lot of subjects I want to cover and this one wasn't planned in any way. It just happened to be on my mind. And I got to spend time with some amazing people and I'm going to get back to to race day here soon, you know. But I've never been an avid, you know, sports anything, man. I know that uh took me until my sophomore year to realize I'm not a very big guy and uh I didn't make the varsity football team, didn't really want to be a backup on the JV anymore, so I decided to wrestle and run cross country to lose weight for wrestling. I will say cross country was one of the coolest, most easiest practices I ever had. You showed up, you ran your your five miles, you went home. That was it. That was all that consisted of that, and it was simple. Um, It was convenient. Uh, I don't think I ever showed up to participate in a race day. Um, while I was at that school, but that is where I guess the ability, I learned the ability that, Hey, I can actually sustain this. I can do it like I'm capable, you know, it made me feel stronger, faster, you know, just better about myself at that time for whatever, you know, I don't know when I was a kid too, you know, it's just emotional stress of the environment you can't control. And sometimes whether you, you, you realize it or not, you find these outlets that you put yourself in that make yourself more comfortable and then you would rather be drawn to that than to whatever other noise right is uh is going on in the background so cross country was cool and then after I dropped out of high school went through a whole bunch of other you know homeless phases with different relatives till showing back up into my parents lives who were pretty much homeless then at that time too who I hadn't seen in years uh Anyway, a few more years into that, you know, I, I I had a, I think I was working at Domino's at the time. I had a regular job. I lived in a little mother-in-law suite on someone's property and every, I don't know, couple weeks or whatever was going on, regardless of how much I wasn't living my life correct or how out of shape I was, I could put a sweater on and, you know, I could run to the end of the street I lived on and back to the stop sign. Looking back now, it was probably about maybe maybe a mile, mile and a half. And then uh, on a good day, I could do the whole block, which was probably about two and a half miles. And there was something about doing that in 90 degree weather, 100 degree weather with a sweater on that made me feel like I was capable of doing things that those around me weren't. You know, um, people I stop and ask if you need a ride, you know, it was just something that I knew that none of the the fat, lazy, redneck kids that I was associating around who would chase beer and, you know, music on the weekends to ride around in circles were just not even capable, like mentally, physically, or willingly to to put themselves in that type of situation. So there was something about it that drawn me, 
that drew me to doing that. You know, as, as frequently as I felt, uh, my life was falling apart. There was, you know, times I, I got arrested one time. I think I ended up on probation for about six months. Like that was pretty stressful. I ran a lot, you know, I would, I would go down to the, the lake and run around downtown in Claremont. And, uh, yeah, man, there's just something about running that clears your mind. And, uh, and it's the simplicity of how simple it is and how hard you can choose to push is, is just incredible. Right. So then, uh, Fast forward a little bit further too, when I was in my early 20s, I got into a, a car accident where I was in the back hatch of a Jeep Cherokee. And uh, we were in the right lane, supposed to make a left turn, and the driver put the right turn signal on. I know they put the right turn signal on because I was riding in the back hatch, like not the back seat, but the hatch. Um, I can remember this very particularly before I got into the vehicle. Uh, there was a basketball shoved between a cooler and the hatch and the kid that was slamming it, it wouldn't shut. The door kept popping back open. And I said, Hey, stop being such a sissy man and close that damn door. And when he slammed it, it kind of pinched that basketball between the cooler. That basketball ended up being popped. And, uh, yeah, so, so we're driving down a back road with about us, I think 60 mile an hour speed limit. We have our right turn signal on. There's a Mack truck behind us toting rocks who was probably about ready to go around us because I'm sure we weren't driving the speed limit or, you know, way below. The driver was heavily intoxicated. We were loaded down, you know, driver, passenger, three people in the back seat, me in the hatch. As uh, we got our right turn signal on, the driver remembers, oh yeah, we got to make this left. So she snatches the wheel left as the Mack truck gets in the left lane to accelerate around us because we just put our blinker on and they're in a hurry trying to get to where they're going. So they kind of corner clip the rear of the vehicle. We spun around a few times. The last thing I remember is the radio being up loud, me seeing the wrong turn signal on, knowing where we're going thinking, huh, they must have communicated something up front that they didn't say back to me. We must be going somewhere else. And then we took that turn, and then I seen the headlights, and I seen the vehicle, you know, coming towards us. I didn't hear an impact. I don't remember a boom. I just remember, oh, shit, and then lights out. So the vehicle spun around in a, I don't know, a 360, I guess, maybe a couple different times. It spun around in the middle of this highway, there was an orange grove, asphalt, a restaurant. Um, yeah, this weird little, it's a Red Wing restaurant in the middle of absolutely nowhere on 33 in this small town. And uh, that was on one side of the road. We were aiming towards the dirt road where there were some mailboxes. After the vehicle spun around, I got ejected through the back glass of the Cherokee and then somehow in the spinning frantic motion of the crash, I landed in the softest part of the sugar sand, and I believe I slid about 30 or 40 feet. If you ever seen a, like Dragon Ball Z when they hit somebody and it leaves that line in the ground from the person getting like, you know, kicked or whatever, like that's what it looked like in real life. I uh, landed on the dirt, I slid all the way to a certain point, and then uh, the next thing I remember is paramedics and police, you know, waking me up with flashlights, asking me my name, my birthday, you know, where, where am I at? What am I doing? Trying to see how coherent I was. Uh, 
Oh, I was worried about the Jeep, I guess. Uh, I wasn't sure. I guess I was a little out of my mind because I guess I couldn't remember if it was mine that we were driving or if we were in someone else's. And I was like, hey, is that vehicle damaged? Like, what's the, what's the damage on the vehicle? And they're like, hey, man, can you feel your legs? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just remember being in a lot of pain, but uh, being able to communicate a lot. My uh, cousin Christopher was an active duty infantryman at the time. He had gotten to... I don't even know, a scuffle a couple weekends before coming to visit me like he probably shouldn't be doing on his only little leave back home. But uh, he was drinking a lot and uh, kind of going through the motions of being back from being deployed. And uh, he had lost his dog tags and I had found them. Went out the next day where I knew he got in the scuffle at in the middle of the woods and searched for a couple hours with some friends and I found his missing dog tags because I knew it was going to be his ass again if he didn't show back up with them. So while they're, you know, they're, they're loading me up into the helicopter after the scene of this accident, which uh, I ended up having a broken, I guess, fractured left pelvis, left shoulder and left ankle. And uh, they, yeah, the helicopter landed in the middle of the street. They had it all blocked off. The uh, cop asked me a couple more questions just about my birthday and stuff. And then they put me into the helicopter. And then uh, I remember being I don't really remember, you know, it was loud and it was a bunch of noise. Don't remember anything cool. I just remember joking up with the pilots a lot. We got into the helicopter, you know, they asked if I wanted any pain meds. I said, no, nah, man, you, you play dumb games, you win dumb prizes. Uh, you know, I deserve to feel whatever I feel right now. And, uh, you know, they kind of chuckled at that. They started rattling off some blood type and a birthday that I didn't recognize. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You're not talking about me. And they said, no, man, you're, you're active duty uh, attack something. And I was like, no, these are not mine. And uh, I guess one of the guys knew better. He's like, these are not yours. Why are you wearing them? <laughs> and uh, I said, man, my cousin got up, came out here a couple weeks ago and uh, got in a fight and he lost them and I had to go and find them. So he took them off of me and put them in my pocket for me and uh, landed at the hospital. I remember uh, shortly after we got there, you know, they gave, they wanted to give me a, uh, a CAT scan I think it is. And uh, they shoot you up with this like red dye before then. They're like, are you sure you don't want any pain meds before we do this? You know, it's going to, you might feel like you peed yourself a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. Might feel a little warm down your leg or something. I was like, all right. So they gave me that shot. It was like fire in your veins. Like they put fire in me. I felt like I, I came on fire from the inside. They told me to lay as steel as I could. I still couldn't move very much. I got the CAT scan, came out. That's when they told me, uh, you know, nothing was, was broken or nothing was severely injured, but they could see the fracture here, um, the break on my ankle and then the fracture in my shoulder all on my left side. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, this sucks. Uh, I had to be in a wheelchair when I left the hospital. Yeah. I refused all pain medication at the hospital until right when my mom and dad got there to pick me up. My, uh, my goofball of a parental father figure, he's like, man, you know, you need to take one of them. So the doctor left me with a hydrocodone 10. He broke it in half. He took half of it and he told me to take the other half because I was going to, I was going to need it to be loaded up in the, the, the car and stuff because of, of the way I felt. So I took it and I threw up the entire ride home about an hour and a half stuck in I-4 traffic coming from Orlando back to the small town. I puked my brains out in the car because 
I don't know, man, my, my body cannot take opioids or painkillers. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, there's something about me when I take that stuff, it makes me feel like a noodle. I get really limp and everything goes numb except for wherever the pain was coming from seems to get 10 times worse. And like, I get sick every time. So, uh, yeah, couldn't have been my drug of choice if I wanted it to be because my body said, nope, not going to fucking happen. So, uh, yeah, that experience went through. Um, I guess, you know, after that, I, I was a delivery driver at the time. I drove a five speed standard vehicle. I had to be confined to a wheelchair. Um, I remember being in the wheelchair for about three, maybe four weeks. They said I was, should have been in the wheelchair for 90 days before I attempted to walk. Um, I had finally got to where I could get my wheelchair off of the three steps of my porch by myself. I could crutch on my right side to the chair, wheel it out to my Jeep. I could get in it and I could press the clutch in with my left hand and I could at least get to a couple of the stores and some buddies houses that lived like within the round the block if I needed to go or get anything and I think that might have happened once or twice just because I I was having like cabin fever couldn't go anywhere so uh yeah about about six weeks into that I could walk around on the crutches and then that's when I had uh, I went to see the doctor for the checkup you know, they did some x-rays in this. I remember when they put me in the wheelchair the first time. Uh, yeah, one of the things he's said, he's like, you need to not try to put any pressure on this. You know, there's like a 10% chance, you know, you're never going to walk right again. And uh, like, I remember him saying that, but I just remember immediately kind of like rolling my eyes. Like, you're fucking stupid, dude. Like, you have no idea. Like, I'm ready to walk right now. I don't know. I don't know. It was just such a... I never believed him for a minute, you know, I felt like I was being lied to in the moment to the point to where like, I could not wait to start walking again. So when I came into his office on crutches at six weeks, you know, he's given me this laundry list of all these things that can happen. And if you fall and you twist this, you're going to break that and you know, it's going to cause, you know, screws here and this and that. And I just remember being so like, aggravated with this guy I was like look man I haven't took nothing but some Tylenol like I'm getting around like you couldn't you couldn't put me back in that wheelchair if you had a an army of people you would have had to sedate me because I was not about to be confined to that any longer and um yeah you know I it makes you it makes you appreciate what what you see other people go through it makes me have a newfound respect for that, you know, community of people that, that thrive there. And it was just such an eye-opening experience for me that um, I, I, I couldn't not, you know, move when I had the chance. And then uh, it wasn't very long after that. Uh, I want to say it was probably three months total before I was walking and driving on my own and probably six months after that before I went for a run. And for the next couple years after that happened, I mean, I've, I've ran more in my adult life than, you know, I ever did, you know, prior to being 24, 25, uh, just started running a lot more because I had this newfound appreciation for, you know, not having your legs anymore. And it made me want to want to use them. So, uh, yeah, man, I did that. And, uh, and then, yeah move forward into, uh, I 
did the ROP for the the 24 hour movement with the 307 project where they just kind of, you know, I don't want to give the course away, but I mean, what is there to know? You walk for 24 hours, you're not allowed to sit down you don't take any breaks. Uh, that shit is taxing on your body. They kind of teach you what you're supposed to take in nutrition wise, what you're supposed to drink fluid wise, and you know, how you prep your body to move in those type of, of time frames over experienced expanded distances for expanded periods of time and uh that experience come back with uh I think that was my second round of 75 hard you know I started reflecting a lot more on you know man you know I want to go run an ultra but a lot of these guys you know they've been running track since high school and they were on these teams or you know they got all this military experience where they just grew up doing all these things and the more I reflected I'm like man since I was in high school, you know, I, I would get stranded at a party, you know, four, five, six hours walking distance from my house. And I would not fucking ride with anybody at a certain point. I would go with my own friends sometimes and they'd be acting weird. And I'd be like, fuck you guys. And I would walk home. There would be, a, you know, times when I'd be staying with this family member or that family member. And maybe I wanted to go somewhere or see somebody or, you know, go go meet up with someone to whatever it was like I would get there I would get there on my feet maybe I had a bicycle I borrowed from from some friends a time or two I know my buddy Dale let me borrow a bike for a while one time and I finally ended up giving it back to him like a couple years later it's funny how things work but uh yeah stayed at my aunt Dale's house and uh yeah, so the more I reflected on, you know, the all of my 20s and then there was a lot of goofing off and mistakes and horribly, you know, detrimental things that put me behind the ball on all of the things that I want to accomplish now. But because of the the choices I made in those in-between times shows that, you know, I don't know, it was body prep. It was those long movements, 